This is Comics Catch Up. Where we read comics suggested by you, the listeners of War Rocket Ajax, that we have missed. Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes, I love to write, I love to write on paper, I love to write in notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, and I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better, as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you've got a paper-like, and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, They also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with. But getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a Paperlike on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com Ajax, click Buy Paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their digital pro planner bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com Ajax to get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Comics Catch Up. This is the show where myself, Matt Wilson... And Chris Sims, who's here with me. Hello. 
we read the comics that we may have missed when they came out, and uh, and we catch up on them, and then we rank them on our big old list of every comic book story ever made, from best to worst. We're we're, we're back in the saddle after a month it's off. It's been a hot minute. Yeah, we took we took and, the summer off. We're like we're like a cool teacher. We need the summers <laughs> off to follow our dreams. That's what the cool substitute teacher said on that episode of Saved by the Bell. That's right. That's it, in my head. I don't know how to do math. <laughs> But that episode of Saved by the Bell that I saw 30 years ago, that line has stuck in my head. We took one month of this show off, and it was unplanned. But yes, we are very much like that cool substitute from Saved by the Bell. Uh, that's, that's what I aspire to be every day. Do you aspire to be a cool substitute or the cool substitute who ultimately disappointed the kids? Oh, that one. Yeah. Okay. That one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. He he didn't start the oil drilling company that killed all those ducks, right? No, no, no. Bell that was, was a different. Gonna, gonna was a, sell the school off to the oil company. That was a different episode. This month we are catching up on the book that we said we were going to do in August, and then we're unable to do. So, Chris, this episode is your birthday present. Oh, that's that. That's it, huh? Okay. Cool. That's, no, you you have a you. you have another birthday present coming from me. Okay. Uh, it, I'm just saying that I really wouldn't be that rude. It's taking a while to get to you because uh, things are moving slowly in the production and delivery of this item, but uh, something is coming to you. Anyway, I'm so intrigued right now. Yes. Anyway, we're talking about Br- Bloodstrike Brutalists, which is the 2018 Michel Fife. Continuation question mark of the classic image comic series Bloodstrike. I mean, according to the the numbering, it is a continuation. Yes, because part one is Bloodstrike issue zero. Part two is Bloodstrike issue number twenty three, and part three is Bloodstrike issue number twenty four. I really wish it would have been like. Bloodstrike number zero, Bloodstrike number 23, and then Bloodstrike annual number one. Well, what's particularly odd is that there is a Bloodstrike 23 and 24 already. Are there? Well, I guess not. There was a Bloodstrike 25. Oh, yes, okay. This fills in the gaps. Oh, is that what? Is, okay, is Bloodstrike the one where they missed the shipping, and then they were just like, "Yeah, fuck it, it's twenty-five now." No, they didn't miss the shipping. Instead, they just skipped ahead. What? They just skipped. They skipped ahead from twenty-two to twenty-five because that's just what suddenly they decided to do. And that's when it became uh, the solo book. Okay, that's when this it became is the solo book. A lot of sense. Yeah this this was uh, Bloodstrike was a a Rob joint creator story breakdowns Rob Liefeld on everything, and after issue twenty two when it was still a team book, the decision was made to make it a solo book about a character named Bloodstrike. Yeah, Cabot becomes. Is renamed Bloodstrike, which was originally the name of the team. 
Right. I, I'm glad I'm reminding myself of all of this now. Yeah, no, this so, is kind of fascinating. So it, they intentionally skipped 23 and 24 just to make it a solo book without having to explain how that happened. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Matt. Uh, the At the end of Bloodstrike number 22, there's a caption box that says, Check out Loose Ends, The Missing Adventures of Cabot in Bloodstrike 23, 24, and 26 coming your way this fall. And that the book will continue in Bloodstrike Assassins number one. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Love it. Love it. So there, okay, so there was a 2012 Bloodstrike series written by Tim Seeley that starts with number 26. Interesting. Which does continue the solo Bloodstrike series. But there was never a 23 and 24 until these Michelle Fife issues, the Brutalist issues. Uh-huh. So that... Time is an illusion, as we all true. know from, like, like, listen, hey, did you know um, 2019 was almost two years ago? Yes, I, I think about that often, about how we are two-thirds of the way, or three-fourths of the way, nearly, through 2021 when at times it feels like 2020 didn't even happen. Yeah, it's a lost year, uh, yeah. because time doesn't really exist. It's a construct that our brains create to make sense of a, a disordered universe. And nothing exemplifies that like Bloodstrike. In a very literal way. It's like, that's a joke that I made, but it's also true. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, Matt, can, can you do me a favor real quick? Sure, sure. Can you um, rub the blood? <laughs> so what we're talking about Bloodstrike Brutalists from 2018 these three issues by Michel Fife fill the gap between the, the gap of the blood between issues 22 where ostensibly Bloodstrike was still a superhero team and 25 where Bloodstrike was a guy a single character. So story art edits on all three of these issues are by Michel Fife, a friend of the show and show favorite, a writer and artist of many great comics, uh, Copra being probably the biggest of them, but a lot of great work by Michel. It also lists uh, several names under the Interesting credit extremists who include Paul Mabry, Ed Pisker, Ben Mara, with Alex Grushke and Chuck Forsman. Well, there's that's got to be who does the backup stories because I know one of the, one of them is Chuck Forsman for sure. Yeah, uh-huh. the, the code name Lethal is definitely Chuck Forsman. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and then uh, Rob is is credited as the creator of Bloodstrike. Uh, I remember when this book was coming out, uh, we saw Michelle at Heroes Con in 2018, and uh, he had a t- one or two issues of this, and I remember picking them up from him and and reading them then. Uh, but I was very pleased to go back and, and look at this, because I- I'll tell you, Chris, uh, Bloodstrike is not one of the early image books that I have a ton of a ton of familiarity with. 
it was good just for my understanding of what was happening in these books to to revisit them. Here's there's two things that I want to say, Matt, right up front. One is that we do not talk enough, and by we I mean the uh, comics reading community at large, because you and I talk about it all the time. We do not talk enough about how the early image books, particularly Rob's early image books, were 10 years out of their time. Because Bloodstrike, the premise is, it's Suicide Squad, but everybody comes back to life. They're all essentially zombie, expendable zombie superheroes working for the government. You could get that pitch in now. Uh, if, if, If it had not been done before, you could be like, yes, this is the pitch. That's brilliant. In the same way that, like, Youngblood being, what if superheroes were celebrities? Were like, they're sponsored by the government, and they're famous celebrities, and everybody knows about them. But because of that, they have to go do, like, government stuff. That's brilliant. Regardless of what you think about the execution, the concept is brilliant. That's the first thing that I want to throw out there. I think that's why people, like, creators wanted to revisit those ideas years later. Like we're coming up on 30 years after the creation of image. And these books are still coming out in some capacity and creators have revisited them and filled in gaps and continued the books. And I think so much of that is based on the the strength of these premises. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, here's the second thing. And this is going to sound... It, it's going to sound differently than how I mean it. Which is that I don't know how good Michel Fife is if you don't have the context of liking the things that he's riffing on. And that doesn't mean that I don't think Michel Fife is good. I think Michel Fife is objectively good and an objectively incredible creator. Like we've talked about how he did that run of Copra where he did everything to the, you know, the printing and shipping of it. Uh, But qualitatively, I find it difficult to judge his work because he and I, and, and, you know, you and and uh, people like uh, my uh, former writing partner Chad Bowers, like we're all drawing from the same like collective well of what we know and what our influences are. Like, I don't know how good Copra is if you don't love the John Ostrander, Luke McDonald, Suicide Squad, because I do, <laughs> and I'll never, you know, I'll never be able to read it not knowing that. I don't know how good this book is if you don't have kind of a love for like early image comics, particularly Rob's comics, because I do. I, I definitely think because it continues a story from those books, if you just try to read Bloodstrike Brutalists, it's going to be a lot of nonsense to you. Because it doesn't take a lot of time to like explain what it is, you know. It just jumps right into it. That's true. That's true. It, and it is a little like particularly zero, which is more of a prequel that kind of explains who uh, Deadlock is. 
than anything else. 23 and 24 are kind of a different story. Yeah, I think they all go together because they are linked together and they're all kind of called Bloodstrike Brutalists. And I, I do think they connect, but if if there is a book that sort of gives the premise, it is issue zero, which gives the explanation of like these characters die and they come back to life. Mm-hmm. But it it doesn't. There's no point where, like, the characters sit you down or the book sits you down and said, "Hey, if you missed Bloodstrike, here's the deal." You just kind of have to pick it up from the context. And I don't know that Michelle is thinking that he's making an assumption that like people are kind of already familiar with this, but there is, I think there is an assumption that people are already kind of familiar with this. I think there is. And I think it's not an unfair one to make because it's not like, it's not like this blood strike was like blood strike number one from the nineties where it was a again all this stuff sounds really negative but it's not like this wasn't shipping a million copies you know this was not available like on the rack at every comic book store and there's no wizard magazine telling you to go read it this was not like the hot new thing this is a it's a, it's a, a niche book that if you're not a fan of fife if you're not a fan of bloodstrike you probably wouldn't you might not even know about, let alone pick up. Like it's, it's maybe you'd see this uh, kick-ass cover of Bloodstrike Brutalism number one or number zero uh, on the shelf and be like, "What's that all about?" But you are far more likely to go into this with context. Well, there's also the the helpful, I guess, element of this book came out after Wikipedia existed, so you could go read about what Bloodstrike is. <laughs> always always good. Uh, and and have an understanding that way. Um and and you know pick up from the from the book that Deadlock is a zombie Wolverine vampire. <laughs> uh-huh. Which again think think about what the hottest book of like what the mid to late two thousands was at Marvel. Head of its time. Head of yeah. its time. I mean, the other part of it is, like, we're talking about FIFA. I think everything that Michelle FIFA does is completely a labor of love. He only does projects he loves. He only creates things that he has, like, an intense, amazing, complete passion for. And so... He, I don't think he has a ton of interest in necessarily the commercial viability. Like, I don't think he went into Copra thinking this is going to be a huge cult book that I'm going to make money on. He made Copra because he couldn't help but make Copra. Yeah, like because he made Death Zone and was like, "Oh, hey, I actually really want to do more Suicide Squad ass comics." Yeah. It's just he does the things he wants to do because he's that sort of creative person, I feel like, who, if he has an idea and he's passionate about it, he can't not do it. Yeah. It's it's a real, like, what is he going to do, not make this? Yeah. 
And and in some ways, I think that makes him similar to say, like a Tom Scioli, mm, who yeah. is another creator who I think if you don't, if you're not on the wavelength of Tom Scioli, if you don't have some, if you're not in conversation with his influences at least somewhat, you you're probably not going to get it, or you're probably not going to vibe with it. <laughs> And and Tom Scioli, I think, is working from probably a generation before Fife, a generation before us. Um, but I, you know, I can vibe with the Tom Scioli stuff because I'm familiar with that stuff, and I can vibe with the Fife stuff. But if if you didn't come up steeped in that sort of culture. You can appreciate the art. You can appreciate, like, I think Fife's art and Scioli's art are both incredibly unique and uniquely gorgeous in their own ways. But you're not going to vibe with kind of like what they're trying to do and say uh, if if you're not fully vested in, in the culture that they are vested in. I would be so curious to know if anybody had that that Rob Venditti experience with a Tom Scioli book or a a Michel Fife book, where it's like this is the first comic you read, and you're like, oh, this is what comics are, because it's that's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's not for, for people who don't know, we've had Rob Venditti on the show a couple of times talking about how he came to comics late, uh, and and had a kind of a different view of what comics are because because of that. Yeah, because his his first comic was Watchmen. Yeah. His second comic was Tom Strong, and his third comic was what was it Kingdom Come? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Uh, pr- pretty pretty damn wild. But I think the zero issue, you know, talking about brutalists specifically. The zero issue, I think you can come to a lot more easily than the two issues that follow twenty three and twenty four, which absolutely do just fixate on putting something that connects twenty two to twenty five. Yeah, but I do feel like they they are connective tissue and they are designed as connective tissue. But I do feel like they tell a pretty interesting, complete story about the kind of dissolution of this team. And like why it you know why it dissolves and why it's not what it was. Yeah, and and how it ended up being just one dude who calls yeah. himself Bloodstrike. Um, and and like in twenty three, there is a team that falls apart. By the start of twenty four, Cabot is now Bloodstrike, and. We see how that comes to pass, uh, but but I will say, like all of this happens in a very Michel Fife kind of way. That I, I'm not going to say that it doesn't fit with the the Rob Liefeld book completely, but it it does feel like I feel like this is not a perfect explanation of of the difference between approaches. <laughs> But I feel like it is definitely more self-aware. There's 
there's clearly 25 years of time between them. Yeah. Both in art style and in like this sort of like, I don't want to call it winking awareness of, of this story, but sort of like understanding of, of the context that this kind of comic rests in. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Any, any specifics you want to note from 23 and 24? They're pretty grim. Yeah. I would say very grim. 23 is dark. Yeah. Like, like brutal in the, in a way that you don't necessarily expect the title to indicate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you see the effects of constant of what, what the effects of constantly dying have on these characters and the effect that these characters have on other people that, that don't make them necessarily seem heroic anymore. In particular in 23, uh, there's a guy who, uh, the, the woman with the diamonds for eyes tag tag has a brilliant power, by the way. Yes. Uh, well, he, he gets picked up in a bar by tag, or I guess he picks her up and they go home and have a one night stand. And then his life is completely ruined and he's like melting. Yeah. It turns out that if you, um, if you have sex with one of these people that was, uh, that became a superpowered zombie, uh, due to the government, uh, resurrecting them, that's bad. Yeah. It's bad. Like you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. You're going to like, your, your limbs are going to fall off. You're going to essentially melt. Yeah. But also there's a horrifying, terrible serial killer in the book. Yeah. There's like an interesting mirror between Tag kind of casually ruining this dude, like murdering this dude in a really terrible way. Do you Uh, think think she is aware that this is the effect she's having on him? Yes, because they talk about it in the book. Okay, I don't remember that. But it's been a while since I read these, so I don't remember all the details of all of that stuff. But uh, okay, she is definitely aware that when she talk, I don't know if she knows the extent of it. But when she talks to the scientist, he's like, "Hey, you know, like intimate contact with normal humans has proven to be fatal, right?" She's like, "Yeah, whatever." So she doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, there's an interesting parallel between her just completely destroying this dude and not really giving it a second thought. And in fact, like she sees him later as he is like a horrifying melted monstrosity. And she's like, yeah, some dude never seen him before. Didn't know what his, it's, it's one of those stories where like she fucks up this guy's life and he becomes so unrecognizable and disgusting by the end of it that she doesn't even recognize him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, It's, it's pretty messed up. This, horrible serial killer who is essentially doing a version of the same thing where he is like taking these young women and like horrifically mutilating them in, in a way that is not dissimilar to the effects of, uh, that the guy that tag slept with is going through and, and how she like needs to stop him. But because he's like weirdly protected by, uh, by a cyborg conspiracy, you know, um, like nothing happens to him. Like he gets away with it at the end. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and she, you know, she's kind of forced to do the only thing she can with that information. And then 24 sort of plays off of that by explaining how constantly coming back to life essentially puts all these characters in a fog where they don't really know what they're doing anymore. Like they're having a hard time remembering who they are and they can't, they don't really understand. Like they may be aware of the consequences of their actions, but like their lives are so just like violent and awful (laughs) and they're constantly being brought back to life that they don't, they don't really realize what they are anymore to the point where Cabot essentially puts an end to it. He meets Tag in a bar and sort of tells her, this is all over. I have to take you in. Yeah. Uh, And Tag does not uh, take that well. (laughs) Yeah. And she just stabs and beats the shit out of Cabot uh, as a result of that. So that ends up being what happens to the team, is that Cabot is like, all right, I cannot take them back. Like, I cannot drag them by force back into the horrible lives of being uh, these government-sponsored zombie monstrosities. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah, no, it's really good. It's way darker than I expected. Which, yeah, I, I don't know why I didn't expect it to be... I mean... I mean, come on. We've, we've read Michel Fife's work. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing about Fife, right? Like, he... he does these incredibly dark stories and, and I guess morbid stories. And yet there's still like this sense of like throwback fun to them somehow. Yeah. I think it's because it doesn't dwell on it all that much. I think there's a, there's a lot to talk about specifically with number uh, 23 in that it presents like, this horrific and definitely like definitely like sexually charged crime if if there is not a there is not explicitly like a sexual assault involved but it it there there could be <laughs> well if i i think it's akin to if if you are going to compare it to some kind of real world similar thing it's it's like someone with uh, a sexually transmitted disease not disclosing that to their partner well, not, not that but like the serial killer oh well yeah that too yeah. <laughs> uh, it's difficult to sort of like figure out how much was involved in this guy's murders uh but like we see kind of the aftermath and it's like very it's like horror movie horrific but i don't think it's done in an exploitative way or at least as exploitative as it could be and that I've seen it done in other places there it's it's more presented as like horrific and a lot of that comes from it's, the way it's drawn in yeah, the it, page is just like line work and like kind of a weird like watercolory gradient background for lack of a better way of putting it it feels more like comic book violence than the gro- the grotesquerie we have seen in in some comic books over the past two decades. Well, what's weird is like 10 pages before that, there's a page of Supreme like tearing apart 
Cabot in a yeah. fight. Yeah. That is like all blood and guts. It's yeah. like it's hilariously like cartoonishly like intestines coming out and everything. But like the much more like sinister and scarier violence of the serial killer is done in a way that is completely different. Like it's depicted in a way that does not have it's for one thing, like it's not full color. It doesn't have like the visible blood flying out. There's no like organs flopping around. Everyone's like weirdly covered up and it's so much more affecting because of that. And so much more affecting because of the contrast, I think. Well, I, I I think cartoonish is the right word, right? Like, we can show they FIFA could show Cabot being grotesquely and cartoonishly torn apart because we know he's going to be up and walking around on the next page, right? Right. But if but if the death is permanent and has a real impact on the character, then it's presented in a more I don't think respectful is the word, but in a more sort of reverent way, I guess. And it's like, I, I, that's why I feel like there's a point of comparison to some of the like hyper violence we've seen in other comics where it has been such a problem. Like I would compare it to like ultimatum where the blob eats wasp, right? Which is shown on page in the grossest, goriest way possible. And but that is made so much more affecting by the fact that the pages before and after it make it clear that Wasp really died, this death is permanent, and it affected the other characters. Whereas the grotesque deaths in here, we see those characters up and walking around two pages later. Right. It's the like, premise of the book. Yeah, it's so many times like like I feel like that wasp and blob thing gets talked about all the time. And I think maybe people don't necessarily always have an understanding of like why that's so bad when there's violent things in other comics, like similarly violent things in other comics. But it all has to do with context and what's around it and how the other characters react to it and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's it's when you only see the one image, you don't get the full effect. Um, and I think Fife is very keenly aware of those effects. And that's why he treats those deaths in the book so differently. Hang on, Matt, are you like, are you pro the blob eating the wasp? No. <laughs> okay. No. Okay. I wanted to, I wanted to make sure. Cause like, it's hard to hear the commas. in What you were just saying. Like, I didn't think you were. Yeah, like, yeah, like, like well, it's, if if it, if I wasn't clear, it's I think people see the one image of Blob eating the wasp and compare it to other comic book violence and don't understand why that example is so bad. Right, right, right. But that example is so bad because of not just what happens on the page, even though I do think it is needlessly grotesque on the page in a mainstream Marvel comic. But it's also because of everything that happens around it and how the event is treated as this mega serious tragedy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did I make it clear? (laughs) Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's 
what what is the difference between the violence in Bloodstrike Brutalist and the violence in Ultimatum? Well, one of them has a point. One of them has a point, and one of them is like, oh, here's all their blood and guts, and now they're fine. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's the, that the blood and guts in that part is in that case is just like part of the story, and now we move on, yeah. and we don't linger on it, and we don't revel in it. And Ultimatum absolutely revels in it. Yeah. And then, and then, but what really makes it good though is that later on, Blob gets his head eaten. So, yeah. Um, uh, b- boy, it's, I love to see a guy get his comeuppance, his eat uppance. Anyway, I don't know why I brought up Ultimatum. Never mind. It's a very, it's a very similar kind of like grotesque yeah. violence. But, but in one case, it's warranted and feels right. And, a death that has more permanence and is darker is treated in a different way. Right. That's the point I'm making. And FIFA understands that. And in a way that I feel like maybe not a ton of other comic creators do. He understands the way to contextualize these things to make them have just the effect he wants. It's almost like he read and kind of analyzed and obsessed over a comic that frequently had character death. That was, done really well yeah. and contributed to the story. I wonder if there's a comic like that. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. All right, Chris, I think it's time for us to rank Bloodstrike Brutalists. Uh, it's good. It's good. It, it's good in an amwa sort of way. Where if, you, if you're not already going to read it, I don't know if I could recommend it to you, but I did enjoy it. I think it's not quite as hard to recommend as not quite as hard to recommend as on what what is. Yeah, I think I think it's good in a American barbarian sort of way. Interesting, <laughs> where it's like where it's like if you are not conversant with Conan, American barbarian might not mean that much to you. Likewise, if you are not conversant with a certain type of early 90s image comic, not necessarily just Bloodstrike, but but these sorts of comics, then Brutalist might not mean that much to you. Oh, for sure. For sure. This cannot be the first Michel Fife comic you read. No. <laughs> no. Uh, definitely read Copra first, even though Copra also has the the similar, like, if you don't, if you're not familiar with Suicide Squad, you might not get Cobra. Read that GI Joe comic first, actually. That GI Joe comic is good. So both uh, Fife and Shioli have done like top notch comics with GI Joe in them. <laughs> yeah, like like top tier. Th- this is good, <laughs> actually. Comics. There was also the Fife Marvel stuff that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like that's very of the time that it was coming out, yeah, like 2014 or so, when he was doing Ultimates, I think. Mm-hmm. So, anywho, uh, th- no, this should not be your first Michelle Fife comic, but I think it is a good one. Uh, agreed. So, do we have American Barbarian on the list? Uh, let me see. Copra round one is at 225. I think that's better than American this. American Barbarian's at 67. 
American Barbarian is very good. American Barbarian is good as hell. That book has R-E-V-E-N-G-E in it. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. <laughs> that book has uh, a dude with two tanks for feet, and he's like yeah, a dog. hero looking dude, and his name is Two Tank Omen. Yeah, dog. It's brilliant. American Barbarian, good. American Barbarian, the 67th best comic of all time currently. Uh, Copra is is down quite a bit from that at 225. I don't think this goes above Copra, uh, or, or really anywhere close to it. Uh, I, I would think we would look, you know, 500, 600, somewhere in there, perhaps. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's a good place to look. Uh, it's so weird to compare this to things, but I do think at 513 we have E is for Extinction, which I think is a weirdly, a weirdly comparable book. Try not to use a catchphrase, but here we are. I, I mean, I think ES for Extinction is better. I think ES for yeah, Extinction is better, and I don't think we necessarily get a lot of argument from Michel Fife on that. Yeah, yeah. However, I feel like ES for Extinction very much harkens back, like Morrison and Quitely very much are like, hey, here's a thing that is that has been kind of the same book for at least 10 years. And we're going to, if not, if not longer, if not yeah. longer, like at least since X Men number one came out, yeah. Uh, so we're going to change it up a little bit, yeah. And I think it succeeds on that front, uh, in the same way that this is like kind of hearkening back, if that makes sense. I, I think I see what you're getting at. I I do think pretty definitely that E is for Extinction is above this, but oh, for sure. um, let's see. At 550 is Transformers Lost Light. That's really good. Yeah, I think that's probably better. You know what's weird? What? If you liked good-ass DC comics in the 80s, what you should read is Copra and Transformers More Than Meets the Eye. Those are probably the best throwback comics of... It is, it's the best Suicide Squad, and it's the best JLI. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a bad point. The 2010s were a good time for some throwback 80s comics. I'm expecting the 2020s to do some throwback 90s comics, because, uh, Chris, the 30-year cycle... I mean, we already got Bloodstrike Brutalist, man. Cutting yeah, edge. Too, they were too. That was too early. That was two years early. Much like Bloodstrike and Youngblood, was a little bit ahead of its time. That's right. I I'm waiting for uh, the return of like '90s style action comics, and I'm waiting for the return of grunge. Those are the two '90s things I fully expect to come back in the 2020s. No, I don't think you're on TikTok. I, I, my wife sends me TikToks to watch sometimes, okay. Do, but I'm not aware there. that like Jinkos are back. Yeah, I know that skinny jeans are not fashionable anymore. Yeah, but like Jinkos specifically, are Airwalks back yet? Shit, man, Airwalks never left. 
Just kidding. I haven't had a pair of Airwalks in a while. I ha- I do have two pairs of Vans right now. Yeah, Vans Vans kind of did never leave, but Airwalks I feel like definitely did. I'm Let's glad see. that you and I both had the experience of being really into Airwalks. Great logo. Oh, I d- I I had both real Airwalks. Well, I had knockoff Airwalks to start, and then I finally demanded. Uh, on some real air, real airwalks. Wow! Because you demanded it. Because I demanded it. I finally got a pair of real airwalks. I think I had to do a lot of chores. <laughs> uh, Six hundred. Yeah, we have uh, Common Rider versus the Thirteen Shocker Riders. That shit's good. <laughs> that shit is wild. Yeah. Uh, oh. Six nineteen is Marvel Zombies three, which I think is weirdly comparable to this in some ways. I think this is. I think this is Marvel Zombies three is a lot easier to recommend because like hey do you want like a big weird Marvel ass comic? But I think this is and this is not a, a knock on that book. I think this is kind of artistically better. Yeah, I would agree. I but but I think that they're similar tonally, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, because totally. no, I, th- I they're, think they're both books that take a very dark premise. And very dark material, and still kind of make them comicsy and fun. Yeah, that's the only uh, way I can put it. <laughs> here's here's going to be my ceiling. Okay, Knight and Squire at number six hundred eight. Uh, yeah, I don't think this should go above that. I don't think it should go above Squadron Supreme, Death of a Universe. Probably not. Uh, Milk Wars is. Uh, an interesting one. I think these are kind of both similarly weird. Um, let's see. Rise of the Batman, Acts, Punisher, Acts of Vengeance. Put, Punisher, Acts of Vengeance, this is better than. Okay. Is it better than Rise of the Batman? Honestly, another weirdly comparable story. That's the one where... where Kate Kane's father is trying to make more Batman for the government. That's right. For when Batman dies. That's right. Like, it's... I would say, yeah. I'd, I'd say this is better than that. Okay, I don't think it's better than Marvel 2 and 1 number 96, where Ben is in the hospital after fighting the champion. Uh, no, that comic is... Um, I don't want to say perfect, but pretty goddamn good. All right, so entering the list of the new number 615 is Bloodstrike Brutalists, which puts it pretty close to dead center of the list. Yeah, which is um, weird, but it's, it is, it's a top-heavy list. It's an extremely top-heavy list. Please keep that in mind, everyone. Please keep that in mind. And that's going to do it for our Comics Catch-Up for September. Thanks for hanging in there with us, everybody being patient with us. Uh, I'm glad we finally got to talk about these three issues by one of our favorite guys, Michel Fife. Yeah. Um, In the words, the immortal words of John Laurinaitis. If you don't got it, get it. If you don't get it, figure it out. People power. (laughs) We'll be back in October with a spooky one. I think we've already decided on what we were going to do for that. Did we? Yeah, because we we decided a while ago that we were going to do like, I think a Midnight Suns book. Ooh, 
Oh, are we going to do some dark hold? Some dark holding? Yeah, I think we're going to do some dark holding in October. Uh, I have to remind myself of exactly the Midnight Suns book we're going to be reading, but I'm pretty sure that is what we're doing in October. So there will be no poll in October. We know what we're doing. Uh, but if you would like to recommend something for us to catch up on, you can do it at our email address, which is warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. You can do it on Tumblr at warrocketpod.tumblr.com, or you can do it on our Discord, uh, the Warrocket Podcast, Warrocket Ajax Discord server. Uh, that is only by invite. So if you would like an invite to the server, uh, hit us up on Twitter at War Rocket Pod or email us or get in touch with us some other way. If you want to get uh, past the velvet rope into where you can see me complaining about my move. And uh, you can see pictures of Harrison and his much quieter sister Eleanor on on the Discord. Right now there's just one picture. But there might be more to come. That's exciting. Visual confirmation of Harrison? That's only on the Discord. That's I don't think anybody necessarily who listens to the show necessarily needed confirmation of Harrison. <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying visual confirmation. It prominently exists, I would say. The, the, this way you know I'm not podcasting from some back alley where cats are singing for fish skeletons. Wait, Harrison's not Jellicle, is he? I I don't know. I he could be a jellical cat. I never really fully understood what a jellical cat was. Same. It's been explained uh, repeatedly. There's like a version of that for dogs, like that T. S. Eliot came up with. By the way, Matt, I, I think you've heard me say it before. Um, T. S. Eliot, nor any other poet that they made you read in school ever wrote anything 1% as good as real G's move in silence like lasagna. <laughs> that is a fact. And you can take that one to the bank. <laughs> Am I wrong? You're not wrong. You're absolutely not wrong. Langston Hughes was pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll be back uh, in October. If you want to find me and my stuff, go to mattdwilson.net. Chris, where can people find your stuff? The-ISB.com's got links to everything you need. See you later, everybody. Bye. Good catching up. (laughs) 